Our sermon today will be taken from Galatians 6, verse 11 to 18. This is the word of God. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This says the Lord. Thank you, Christy. All right, guys, just with the announcements, real quick again. Um, we will be having our membership class. Let's put it down here. Uh, probably end of February. We love. I know a lot of you have been asking about it. What about the membership class? You know, what is this membership thing all about? So we'll give you more information about it. But um, it will tentatively be right now at the end of February. Sometime then we'll give you more notice about it. I encourage you to check it out. It doesn't mean that if you join it, then you're committing to being a member at the church. Not at all. Uh, but at the very least, you can get a better understanding of, of what membership is all about, how it's a biblical com- command in the Bible. And also get to know CCC a little bit better, and if at all, just come for free lunch, because uh, be, lunch will be provided. Um, it'll be in this, in this same building, in the same room after, after service, maybe for three Sundays, lunch after service. So we'll give you more notice about that. And um, all right, that, that's it for the, for the announcements. So we are right now at the last sermon in our series through the book of Galatians. It's a bit nostalgic to me as I finished up um, um, uh, studying this passage because we just have, we've studied every single verse in the book of Galatians. It's pretty exciting. You guys should be excited about that. I know I am. Um, and, and in this last passage, there's eight verses we read, right? Verses 11 to verse 18. We're going to see Paul concluding the whole book, but the conclusion is more than just a summary of the whole book, as, as we will all see. To truly grasp the weight behind these last eight verses in the book of Galatians, we have to know the context of what the whole book is about. So let me just take about one minute really quickly to remind us of the context that this book is in. So Paul, we have learned in the book of Galatians, he went and planted a bunch of churches in a region called Galatia. And when they first started, they started off well. They believed in the gospel, they trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, and they know that they, 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 they found salvation through him alone and through nowhere else. But then a group came in, as we've studied, called the circumcision group. The circumcision group came into these churches in Galatia and started preaching what we call legalism, what Paul calls a false gospel. They said that you're not saved through faith in Christ, but you're saved by your own obedience, by your own morality, by your own religiosity. If you're able to obey a certain set of rules, you can be saved. You can become included as a part of God's people. That's what they're saying. And even apostles like Peter himself, we read in chapter 2, I think, was swayed by the circumcision group's um, position. And Paul then wrote this letter called Galatians that we've been studying the past six months to remind the Galatian church of the dangers of legalism and remind them and remind us of what Christ did on the cross, that he saved us from our sins. And now to be included as a people of God, it's no longer by obeying these Old Testament laws, 
but through faith in what Christ has done on the cross. Ephesians 2, 8-9, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Legalism, the idea that we can save ourselves, was a problem back then, and is still a huge problem today, and we'll see why. And it's a problem both outside and inside the church. Paul, in our passage today, very skillfully summarizes the whole book in a nutshell. And he does it in a powerful way. And I believe that if we truly get these eight verses, I can confidently say that you will get the essence and the weight of the whole book of Galatians. So I encourage all of us to not just bypass this passage as some kind of bookend, but I encourage us to treat it with the gravity it deserves as it is still the word of God. So three things I want to point out from these eight verses, which really summarizes the whole book. One, we miss the point by making up our own rules. Two, the Christian lives by a new set of rules. Three, founded upon the cross of Christ. We miss the point by making up our own rules. The Christian lives by a new set of rules founded upon the cross of Christ. Let me pray before we enter into our sermon. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your word and for this book in which you have written through uh, uh, your, your apostle Paul and that now your word has come to us and the truths about you and about salvation and about life may be found in them. Lord, I pray that you be with our minds and with our hearts so that it can influence our whole person and by so affecting our actions. Thank you for your mercy and love. Have more grace and mercy as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the first point. We miss the point by making up our own rules. Paul here boils down the whole book of Galatians in eight verses. The whole problem addressed in this book is legalism, right? As we just said, it's the idea that we don't need Christ as our Savior. It's the idea that we can save ourselves by obeying a set of rules. That's a huge problem. Why? Because it dethrones Christ as Lord and Savior, it robs God of the glory he deserves, and we end up putting the throne of salvation upon our own heads. We become our own self-proclaimed saviors. We become our own gods. As a center of this problem, I would argue, lies the same sin in legalism that caused the first sin of Adam and Eve, the first fall of man. The same thing. What do I mean? Well, what was at the heart of Adam's sin? He sinned not foundationally because he listened to Satan. Yes, that's a part of it. He sinned not foundationally because he ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes, that's a part of it. He sinned not foundationally because he disobeyed God's word. Yes, that's a part of it, a huge part of it. But at the most basic foundational level, Adam and Eve wanted to become their own gods and their own saviors. Think about it. They wanted to determine for themselves what is right and what is wrong. They wanted to decide for themselves, instead of trusting in God's word, telling them what's right and what's wrong. They pursued their own definition, their own rules of right and wrong, and said that if I do this, I'm good. God said, don't eat this fruit. They say, I think I'll decide what I'll do. God said, you shouldn't, it's wrong. They said, we'll decide what's right and what's wrong, and we'll do it, right? Yes, they listened to Satan. Yes, they ate the fruit. Yes, they disobeyed God's word, but at the foundational level, they're saying, I don't need God. I can decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. I can set my own rules, and if, I'm, if I follow my own rules, I'm good. That is where my hope is found. That's, that's at the center of it, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Remember, that's pretty much what legalism is. 
We want to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. We want to make up our own rules, and when we accomplish these set of rules, we say, I'm good. That is where my hope is found. We make ourselves our own saviors. Remember the circumcision group. They came into Galatia, and they said, here are the rules. You must follow these set of dietary and ceremonial rules, right? We study that in Galatians chapter 2. They said you can't eat certain meats, you can't drink certain drinks, you, you, you can only do these things, you can only do that thing. These are dietary Old Testament laws. You have to follow these things. These are the rules. And then they also said circumcision. You have to be circumcised to be part of God's people. That's a ceremonial law. We read in our call to worship earlier, there are ceremonial rules of how to worship God. The, the circumcision came in and said, don't listen to God, here are the set of rules. These are dietary Old Testament rules. Eat, drink, can't do this, can't do that. Ceremonial rules of the Old Testament, Jewish Israelites. You follow these things, you'll be fine. Our hope is found by how well you obey the dietary and ceremonial rules God gave Israel in the Old Testament. This is how he can be saved. This is how he can be included as a part of God's people. And Paul said they've missed the whole point. They missed the whole point. These are not the rules that God has truly given us. They've made up their own rules, and when they do them, they're actually breaking what God wants them to follow. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Think about it. Their circumcision, their ceremonial and dietary laws, their external religiosity was motivated by what? to make a good showing in the flesh and to avoid persecution. They did it for their public image. They did it to look good, to avoid losing social popularity and to escape persecution, to, to make a good showing in the flesh. They're missing the point of true spirituality. They've made up their own rules, this dietary laws and these ceremonial Old Testament laws, and they think that if they obey them, they're okay, but these are not the things God says matters. This is not the heart of Christianity. Not food and drink restrictions. Not circumcision and ceremonial laws. Not these external religiosities. No, they're not. What is it that God said is most important? Remember? Again, this is a summary, so I'm going to go through the whole book bit by bit. What is it that God said was most important? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are the things that really matter. Look again at verse 12. The circumcision group, actually, by obeying these dietary and ceremonial Old Testament laws, they did it at the expense of these fruit of the Spirit. They're forcing others to be circumcised. Why? Because if they don't, they tell them that they can't be saved, they can't be part of God's people. Why? Because if they do this, they can make a good showing in the flesh. In other words... They want to look good. They force others to do external religious things so that they can look good. Is this love? Is this kindness? Is this gentleness? Are these the fruit of the Spirit? Verse 13, look at verse 13. They, their circumcision group, desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They, for they force others to be circumcised because by their circumcision, they can show the world of how great they are. Look, look at us. Look at them following us. Is this kindness? Is this goodness? Is this joy? Is this the fruit of the Spirit? They're missing the point of true spirituality. They've come up with their own rules, and they do them, and they force others to do them, but they're blinded from the more important matters of the faith. 
This is exactly what Jesus means in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 to 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mints and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Do these not sound like fruit of the Spirit? These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The circumcision group, like Adam and Eve, made up their own definition of right and wrong. Through taking the Old Testament dietary laws and the ceremonial laws like circumcision and say that if you do these things, you're spiritual. If you do these things, you're righteous. If you do these things, you're saved. If you do these things, you can be included as a part of God's people. But all these Old Testament dietary and ceremonial laws that they claim is a standard of righteousness actually has distracted them from what God has said is truly righteous, is truly good, such as humility. Justice, mercy, kindness, love, gentleness, patience, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. You see? And if we do that, Paul says, no matter how externally religious you may look, you are no different than the world. Not, not the whole world and culture, but, but the world here as, as in those who do not worship God. If you look externally religious, but you miss the whole point of spirit, true spirituality, you're no different than the world. Look at verse 15. For neither circumcision, external religiosity, counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Our circumcision, our mere ceremonial laws, our mere dietary laws, our mere external religiosities, disconnected from the weightier matters of the law, is no true holiness at all. Because when we do them, we're still motivated by the things of the world, like image management, the desire to feel superior, for power, for using others for our personal agendas. In that sense, Neither circumcision nor circumcision counts for anything. All the same, you're still stuck in the way of the world. Now, I want to say this carefully, but I want to propose that this is maybe why when the world sees us, when the world sees the church, sometimes, oftentimes, they feel the subtle knot in their stomach. They look at many churchy people, seemingly righteous people, they have very biblical vocabulary. They serve at church. They go to Bible studies. They go to community groups. They say really, really long prayers before they eat their food. And maybe even respected by other members in their church. But when they really get to know them, they start to see his inner life does not bear the marks of Jesus. When they really get to know them, yes, they have good Bible vocabulary, but, but they kind of look down on people a lot. Yeah, they lead a few Bible studies, but they're actually very impatient when it comes to dealing with people, and they, you don't really sense much humility from them. They, see, they say really, really long prayers before their meals, but you see a lack of integrity when no one's looking. They serve a lot at church, but they spend their money in such a way that shows no regard for, no regard for God or for others. You see, something just feels off. What is that? Why is this often the case? Well, because we have made our own definition of rightness. We focused on the gnat, we've missed the camel. We focus on the external religiosities, and we missed the weightier matters of the law. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This, I think, is why the world is often allergic to the church. And a lot of them have been burnt by the church so many times. 
because people who look very religious externally often have no fruit of the Spirit. Like the circumcision group and the Pharisees who focus on the gnat but miss the camel. So what does a Christian life look like? Are there any rules at all that we're supposed to obey? Jesus said there were. He said you should do these things without neglecting the others. What, what are the others? What are these rules we're supposed to follow? And if remember a passage earlier, um, um, things like justice and mercy and faithfulness, what, 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 this, what does this look like? What are the, ma- the, the weightier matters of the law? Let's, let's move on to our second point. First point, we've, we've missed the point by making up our own rules. Second point, the Christian lives by a new set of rules. This is a question I get all the time. If Christ has forgiven me for my sins, if Christ has died for me, now I'm free, now I'm saved. One, are there any rules left for me to follow? Two, if so, what are these rules? Three, and if I'm forgiven, why should I do them anyways? Are there any more rules for me to follow? If so, what are they? And if I'm forgiven, why should I, why should I follow them anyways? Yes. There are rules that Christians are supposed to follow. But, but remember, Paul says um, it's not following all these Old Testament laws. But also, Paul doesn't say all the Old Testament laws are abolished. Paul says the ones we shouldn't follow are the dietary laws. Can't eat this, can't eat that, can only drink this, can't drink that. The ceremonial laws, circumcision, all the temple rules, those are the things that Paul says we no longer follow. And there's one more thing Paul says we no longer follow in verse 16. We'll get to it in a bit. The civil law, ceremonial law, temple stuff, temple rituals, no more because Christ has fulfilled it all. The the dietary laws, no more. And the civil laws. Okay, we've learned at point one, you can't do ceremonial laws, you can't do dietary laws. And now we see in verse 16, Paul says we no longer do the civil law. The civil law is the rules that God gave the Jewish people in the Old Testament and, and how to rule their country. Because God's people back in the Old Testament was a Jewish nation, was one nation. They had rules of how to live in that nation as a people of God. But now, Paul said, when Jesus Christ died on the the cross, which is the gospel, died for our sins, it allows anyone who would trust in Jesus to become God's people. Right? We're no longer bound by specific ethnicity. We're no longer bound by specific nation. Anyone who trusts in Christ can be a part of God's people. Therefore, unlike the Old Testament... God's people now, no longer like the Israelites, are bound by a particular ethnicity and nationality. God gave these people, Israelites, dietary laws, ceremonial temple laws, and civil laws of how to run their country and their ethnicity as God's people. But now, through Christ, Christianity, salvation is for all, not just for God's Old Testament people. So therefore, the civil laws no longer apply to us because we're not one country. Does that make sense? We're not, we don't have a country to run anymore. The civil laws are done. The ceremonial laws are done. The dietary laws are done. This is why Paul says in verse 15 to 16, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the what? The Israel of God. Who is now the Israel of God? Who is now the people of God? It's no longer an ethnicity group, but it's all who trust in Christ are now the Israel of God, God's people. We are now God's people. Okay. Verse 15, who is the Israel of God? Those who are a new creation. Not a specific people that follow Old Testament dietary, civil, and ceremonial laws, 
but those who are new creation. Now, I went through all that because through all that, now I can answer the questions I've been getting. The questions that I mentioned in the beginning of point two. Are there any rules for me to follow? If so, what are they? And if I'm forgiven, why should I follow them anyways? What rule are Christians who are no longer a specific ethnicity group, but everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, what now are Christians to follow? If it's not the dietary laws, if it's not the ceremonial laws, if it's no longer the civil laws, what rule is there for me? Look again. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, what rule? A new creation, and as for all that walk by this rule, the rule of new creation. What does that mean? What are the rules of a new creature? Let's go to another part of this book, Galatians 2.20. This will all connect. I know it's kind of scattered. This will all connect at the end, I promise. Galatians 2, chapter, uh, Galatians 2, verse 20 to 21. Paul is talking about this new creature that we are now, who we are in Christ. I, Paul says, have been crucified with Christ, right? There, there's a death to the old self. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's a new self. There's a new creation. Christ is in us. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The old has gone, the new has come, because Christ is now in us. Okay, so what is a new creature? First, a new creature is somebody who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Somebody who knows that they cannot save themselves by obeying the law, but somebody who realizes the depth of their sin is so much and so perverse, they have no hope except they receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That's first. But second, in this forgiveness now, a new creature has the Spirit of Christ living in them. They're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now their hearts and their lives and their emotions and their actions and their thoughts are influenced by the Spirit of Christ that lives in them. Now think about this. What does this new creature what does this spirit in Christ that lives in you if you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, what does he do? Well, point one that we talked about earlier. He produces in us a desire for the weightier matters of the law. He produces in us the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, joy. The new creature's concern now is Christ's concerns. The weightier matters of the law. Not just the outward external religiosities that we often do, like the circumcision groups often perform, not the dietary laws, not the ceremonial laws, not the civil laws, but the fruit of the Spirit, the weightier matters of the law. Now, the question that the new creature asks is this. Not how can I look more religious to manage my social image, but how can I glorify Christ and his gospel by being honest about my sin so that his mercy and grace can shine even brighter in my life even if it makes me look, look less spiritual to other people. I don't care about that. See? Faithfulness, humility, fruit of the Spirit, not just external religiosities. We don't ask, how many Bible passages can I quote when someone is confessing their sin to me so that I can look like the more religious person in the room? No. A new creature asks, how can I be vulnerable and empathize with someone who is in sin because I know that I'm no better than them? And that I'm not saved by my own accomplishments of the law, but because Jesus had a sinner on a mercy uh, had mercy on a sinner like me. 
See, this is gentleness. This is goodness. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not just external religiosity. One more, one more example. It's not how can I flaunt my Christian accomplishments and wear my status as a deacon or as an elder or as a community group or Bible study leader. Not how can I wear that on, in my sleeves to impress other people, but how can I humble myself and make myself approachable by those who do not yet know Christ and are already intimidated by Christians anyways so I can live out and share the gospel through them from my life and from my words. See, this is kindness. That's a fruit of the Spirit, not just external religiosity. This is what it means to be a new creature, to be forgiven before God of our sins and have our status changed before God, from guilty to innocent, from an enemy of God to a child of God, from objects of God's wrath to objects of God's eternal love and mercy because of the work of Christ. And in this work of salvation, the Spirit of Christ enters into us, makes us a new creature, develops in us a heart that focuses on the weightier matters of the law, not just the external religiosities, not the ceremonial, dietary, civil laws, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, mercy, peace, kindness, goodness, justice. But we haven't answered the question that we brought up in the beginning of point two. What laws, then, do we, as new creatures, follow? Are we just supposed to live in this vague world of patience and this vague world of kindness and goodness and self-control? Or are there solid, clear commandments from the Old Testament that we are still to follow now? There are. Not the ceremonial laws, not the civil laws, not the dietary laws. Christ has fulfilled all of them. But think about it. What is it? It's the moral law. The moral law is another word for the Ten Commandments. Why? Why? What makes the Ten Commandments different from the ceremonial, the dietary, and the civil laws? Think about it. Because the Ten Commandments is the natural outward working of the internal fruit of the Spirit. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, is the natural outward working of the internal fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness, Patience, don't murder people, <laughs> right? The sixth commandment. Goodness, don't lie. Ninth commandment. Self-control, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Seventh commandment, eighth commandment. Faithfulness, don't worship any false idols, keep the Sabbath. Second and fourth commandment. Love, don't covet, don't be jealous of what other people have that you don't have. Love them. Tenth commandment. You see? The moral law is the outward working of the internal fruit of the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that obeying the Ten Commandments earns your salvation. No. I'm saying those who have received Christ as Lord and Savior, those who are new creatures in Christ, who are forgiven now as new creatures bear the internal fruit of the Spirit. And if you listen to it, if you adhere to this internal calling you will naturally follow the Ten Commandments, the moral law, because this is simply how a fruit-bearer lives. The true Israel of God, Christians, those who have placed their faith in Christ, no longer follow the dietary, ceremonial, and civil laws, the external religiosities that used to mark the ethnic group of God's people. But now we are marked by something completely different. We are distinguished by something completely different. Fruit bearers now are distinguished and marked by something much weightier than external ceremonies. 
not by dietary, civil, ceremonial laws, but we are marked, we bear upon ourselves with the mark of Jesus. I'm moving quickly now. It'll all connect. Trust me. It'll all, it'll all connect in the end. Look at verse 17. This is how Christians are marked. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What does that mean? Again, I know I'm moving forward quickly. Stick with me. What does that mean to bear upon our bodies the marks of Jesus? This sounds a little weird, right? Well, Paul here, in regards to himself, is actually talking about physical wounds. Literally on his body, because of his faithfulness to Jesus and because of his faithfulness to the gospel, he was often persecuted. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. And as a result of that, he has scars and wounds of his body from his faithfulness to Christ. Now, for us, we may not bear physical wounds from staying faithful to Jesus and to his gospel and to the moral law, but often, when we remain faithful to the Ten Commandments, we too will bear a type of scars. Let's connect everything now. Okay, let's, let me summarize real quick and we'll connect the end. Okay, we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because we realize we're sinful and we need him for our salvation. We're forgiven from our sins, and now in that, we are new creatures. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. The old has gone, the new has come. And now we desire the weightier matters of the law. Love, justice, peace, kindness, goodness, mercy, self-control, all those things, right? The fruit of the Spirit. And as a result of this fruit of the Spirit that a new creature experiences, we then externally obey the moral law, the Ten Commandments, as a natural result of listening to the internal fruit of the Spirit. Now what happens? How are we wounded? How are we scarred by obeying the Ten Commandments? You're in a place in your career where you can choose to manipulate and lie, which is breaking the Eighth Commandment, at the expense of other people, which, by the way, is stealing, which is breaking the Ninth Commandment. But instead, instead of lying and stealing, you choose goodness, which is a fruit. And therefore, you choose to obey the Eighth and Ninth Commandment, not to lie, not to steal, even when it wounds your finances and hurts your career progress. You're close with a boy or a girl, and you're at a place where no one knows you. You have the opportunity to flirt and even maybe go a little bit further to committing adultery, which is breaking the Seventh Commandment. But instead, you choose faithfulness. That's a fruit. And a result of faithfulness, you obey the Seventh Commandment. You don't commit adultery, even when it hurts your chances for momentary sexual pleasure. We have the finances to allow us to do very extravagant things like eat out at really fancy places and purchase overly luxurious things because we worship the false god of comfort, which is breaking the second commandment, idolatry. Don't worship any other god. But instead, we choose self-control. That's a fruit. And a result of self-control, we control our spending, and we save a lot of money, and we give it to worship God instead of this false god of comfort, and we give it to a mercy ministry somewhere in the city. Even when it wounds your momentary sense of comfort and public image because you're not wearing the brand clothes that your friends are. Paul might have been born with physical marks of Jesus on his body as a result of his obedience to the moral law. But let me ask us this. When we look at our bank accounts, do we see the marks of Jesus? When we look at our living standards, do we see the marks of Jesus? When we look at our sex lives, do we see the marks of Jesus? 
When we look at our marriages, do we see the marks of Jesus? When we look at what we choose to wear, do we see the marks of Jesus? When we choose of how to spend our free time, do we see the marks of Jesus? When we look at our search history in our laptops, do we see the marks of Jesus? When we look at how we spend our Friday and Saturday nights, do we see the marks of Jesus? A new creature cares about the weightier matters of the law, and they listen to the internal call of the Spirit, and they follow it. And as a result, they obey naturally the moral laws, the Ten Commandments. And they fix their eyes upon the glory of God and the benefit of others through whatever peril it may bring them, and they ask themselves, so what? What of these scars? If I can glorify him who died for me. That's a new creature. This is how we now distinguish who are the people of God today, not by the Old Testament dietary ceremonial civil rules. We distinguish them by seeing who truly cares about the weightier matters of the law and lives their lives according to it, even if it wounds them. What blindness have we that we've become a people who aren't really affected by the weightier matters of the law? We aren't really affected when we hear about the millions of people who don't yet know Christ in the city. We're not really affected when we hear about the amount of poverty in the city. We aren't really affected when the weak are being abused in the city, by the way the gospel has been grossly twisted in the city. We aren't really affected by the way false gods of sex, power, success, and social image are being worshipped by millions of men in the city at the expense of their family and children. We aren't really affected by the way we have been gripped by these false gods of sex, power, success, and social image. We aren't really affected by any of those things, but God forbid we see somebody have a glass of wine during dinner, That's sinful. Really? That's what we care about? (laughs) Don't trouble me with that, Paul says. Cause me no more trouble. Verse 17. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Just to be clear, I'm not preaching to you. The word of God is preaching to you and to me. I'm just as convicted as this as I hope you are. You see, it's interesting to see what the word marks in verse 17 means in the Greek. The word Paul uses, it's translated as marks in the ESV. In the Greek, it's stigmata. Same word used to describe the branding of soldiers back then. Commanding officers would brand their soldiers so that people would know who they belong to. Which which commanding officer does this person follow? Here Paul says, I bear on my body the stigmata of Jesus. Mere external religiosity is simple. It's sanitized. It's weightless. The rule that God's people today follow, the rule that those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ follow, is the rule of new creation that bears the internal fruit of the Spirit and often leads them to obeying the moral commandments, the Ten Commandments, and often causing momentary affliction. And upon that, there is on their bodies the stigmata of Jesus. Let's end with our third point. Paul feels a bit forceful here, doesn't he? And many at this point probably feel a little guilty. Or if you're like me, you feel really, really guilty. Because many of us, we know that we've ignored the internal call of the Spirit. We've ignored the fruit of the Spirit, and we've disobeyed the Ten Commandments as a result. 
like the circumcision group, to avoid persecution, to avoid stigmata that bears in our lives, we choose external religiosity instead of true um, moral commands, obeying the moral commandments. But let this be an encouragement to you. Remember, remember who Paul is talking to here. Who is this letter for? Why did he write this whole thing? Not to super Christians. He didn't write this to everybody, to people who have it all together. But to Christians in Galatia who were struggling, who were confused, who was who were gospel forgetting, who were law breaking, Christians who are weak like you and I. So let's go on to our third point. First point, we miss the point by making up our own rules. Second point, the Christian lives by a new set of rules. Third point, founded upon the cross of Christ. May we never forget that as we end the series, the book of Galatians, let's go back to the beginning. What was the original intent Paul wrote this letter? To strengthen and encourage weak and struggling Christians like you and like me. Yeah, but the Galatian church were relatively young believers. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I'm still struggling with this. No, they're not all young believers. Remember who Paul rebuked in chapter 2? Peter, one of the apostolic leaders. Even Peter fell into legalism. He doubted the gospel and struggled with making the weightier things of the faith priority over the external ceremonies, just so that he can avoid persecution and avoid stigmata. In other words, this letter is for all of us, young Old Christians, people who struggle with legalism, people who doubt the blood of Christ is enough to wash away your sins, people who struggle with obeying the internal call of the Spirit, people who struggle with obeying the moral law, people who struggle with caring more about popular appeal than about obeying God. To us, Paul says this, verse 18, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. It's interesting to see Paul closing this letter in the same way that he opened it. Look at verses 1 to 3. It's on the, it's on the um, screen. This is chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Paul, an apostle, this is how he opened this whole letter. Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God, Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul opened with a reminder of grace, and now he closes with a reminder of grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul's reminding us of someone who did perfectly obey the weightier matters of the law. He's reminding us of someone who did succeed in obeying all the moral law and listened to the fruit of the Spirit, someone who perfectly succeeded in caring more and being faithful to God and his gospel rather than popular appeal. Who is that person? Jesus. And yet he who succeeded climbed on a cross, gave himself up for us, and experienced the full wrath of God so that we who daily fail may be delivered from our darkness and receive the prize that he deserves for his accomplishments. That's the gospel. Why did he do that? because he wants to become yours. Earlier we said the stigmata that Paul bore, the wounds in Paul's body, signified who he belonged to. The wounds and stigmata that one bears in their body signifies who they belong to. What then do you make of the wounds and the scars in Jesus' body? What about the wounds and stigmata that Jesus bore in his back, in his hands, in his feet? 
Who do these marks signify he belongs to? Why was he scarred, wounded for you? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and verse 11. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus bore the cross. Jesus bore on his body the stigmata that signifies he's yours. What of these scars, Jesus says, if I can through them spend eternity with those whom I love? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Listen to the internal call of the Spirit. When you do so, you will follow the moral law. Follow it, even if it causes for you to bear the marks of Jesus, who bore first upon his body marks for you. As we end the Galatians series, I want to read our passage today, these eight verses, from beginning to end one more time, because I think it's good for us to dwell in it now that we have a better understanding of it, but also as we're reminded of the whole book. This is what the whole book is about. So I pray that studying this book has been as rich for you as it has been for me, and encourage you to study it deeper in the future. So as we end, hear now the book of Galatians one more time, as summarized in these eight verses. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, but only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks, the stigmata of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Pray with me. Father, this reality is so obscure even to grasp that a God, the God, the only God, would come down and assume the body in which this disobedience occurred, the body of man, and died upon a cross, although he has obeyed the laws perfectly and broke none of it, but yet gave to us the reward that he deserves and bore upon his body the wounds, the stigmata that signifies he is ours. And Lord, as a response, now that we are new creatures in you, have more mercy and grace in us and let the internal call of the Spirit be louder in our hearts that we may obey it, and as a result, obey the moral laws, the Ten Commandments. No matter what peril it may walk us through, no matter what wounds it may cause us, we may show them with pride and say, this shows I belong to Jesus, not to the world, because it's been crucified to me and I to the world. We thank you for this love, 
and for this mercy. And as we sing of your gospel one more time today, I pray that you work this reality deeper into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.